Welcome to Let's Talk Careers Podcast, where we discuss how education can set you apart from the crowd and elevate your career. If you're looking for support, inspiration, or a reason to not give up, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview individuals who have used their education to reach great heights in their career. We provide real-life examples and encouragement to support students on their career journeys. If you're ready to talk careers with us, then stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Miss Riley, and my co-host today is Miss Serena Gills. She is the president of the Business Student Advisory Council, as well as the president of the Student Athletic Advisory Committee. She's also a member of the organization, Moo Writers for Life, and she's a star tennis player here at SAU. She was named Great American Conference Player of the Week. We will be interviewing Dr. Jenny Logan. Dr. Jenny Logan is the Director of Center of Economic Education and Research here at SAU, and she's also Petersburg Professor of Free Enterprise. This is going to be a great episode. You don't want to miss it. Tune in. Okay, well, welcome, Dr. Logan. I'm really excited for this interview. Um, The first question I have for today is, what does a day in your work life look like? Um, I still chuckle. I guess one thing I really like about what I do for a living as a college professor is every day is different, and every part of every day is different. Um, so, you know, at a small state college, I get to wear many hats. So I might come in and answer some emails, and, you know, then I'm off to teach a class, and then I'm off to a committee meeting, and, and then I'm writing lesson plans for middle school students, and then I probably have another meeting again. So it's just kind of running throughout the day, not necessarily putting out fires, but getting to do fun things like play with balloons, but then having to do other things like sit in meetings. So I get to I get to do all sorts of things every day, and it keeps me busy and on my toes. I like it. <laughs> okay, and then next question is, what was your first job out of college, and how did it prepare you for where you are now? Well, my first job out of college, it's funny because I'm an academic, and so since I've been in graduate school, I haven't really had a job that didn't involve teaching. I've been in academics in some way. Um, My first job outside of the University of Oklahoma, where I went to school, was at uh, Texas Christian University, and I was a visiting professor there. And so that was my first time to have to dress professionally, I had been a student, so I had been able to wear jeans and T-shirts and, you know, be pretty informal. So it was one of my first times where there was sort of an expectation of professionalism. So I had to dress appropriately. I had to improve my communications, not just with the students. Now that there was more of a separation and I was in the professor role instead of a student myself. Uh, so that was that was challenging for me. I'm very informal myself, and I say things like, rad <laughs> out of nowhere and uh so learning that's not always the best thing to say in a meeting and okay? <laughs> a little while but uh <laughs> a good experience. so from that how did you overcome those struggles that you faced with your attire and your wordplay I guess because I struggle with wordplay I mean my slang is from England so I always say crazy stuff that no one understands and it could actually come across offensive because it's completely different here. Mm-hmm. So what would you suggest in overcoming those kind of boundaries? 
Well, you know, sometimes you're just going to learn. You learn at the meeting, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so sometimes you kind of just have to say the wrong thing to realize what's a more appropriate thing to say next time. And mm-hmm. I think for the most part, people are, are pretty understanding. You know, they go, oh, they're new, they're young, right? But but you also, you have to mess up a few times to, to learn what's right. Um, kind of like I used to wait tables, right? And the first time you ever drop a tray, it's really embarrassing. Right? Everybody turns around and looks at you. Some smart ass claps, you know, <laughs> and and you just feel so embarrassed. But after that, you know, the second time you drop a tray, you like make a show out of it. My bad. You know, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, make a little joke. So you just let it ride. And I guess one thing that I've been fortunate enough to be able to do, I've never worked at a place that was so stiff that I still couldn't be my authentic self. Because I am informal, and some of those things are gonna gonna come out, and my little sayings or jokes. So I'm I'm just lucky I've never been at a place that didn't welcome that. And I guess yeah. in academics, you know, most of us are a little different, a little eccentric, and so that seems to be uh, a good environment for us, right? In academics, so I seem to have found the right place. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, okay. With that being said, what led you to the current position that you're in? Is you're like a current board member to so many committees and Dr. Logan, one of the best economic professors we have, like what put you in this position and how did you get there? Well, let's see. Um, I told you I started off at TCU and I was a visiting professor and then I went to Austin College, which is also in Texas. Funny enough, not in Austin, it's in Sherman, Texas. Um, And I was a visiting professor there for a couple of years. So I really just wanted to be tenure track. You know, I wanted to be part of the group. I wanted to be one of the people at the table having the discussion. You know, as a visiting professor, sometimes you're told, eh, you can come to the meeting if you want, but no one really worries about what you think or what you have to say, or at least at other places. And so, you know, I knew I wanted a tenure track job. I wanted to set down roots and be somewhere for a while. And so... You know, uh, SAU just seemed to be the place the university steered me towards, and they offered me a job, and uh, so I started in 2007, and I've been wearing all these different hats since then, but I guess that experience of getting to do so many things has probably helped me have more of a a leadership-type role in some ways. I got you. So you would say, as, like, advice for students and stuff would be to speak out and go to those committee meetings and go to those opportunities and really take advantage of anything that comes. Yes, take advantage uh, and just be part of what's going on. You don't want someone to say, oh, who's that, right? You want, when your name is mentioned, someone to know, oh, hey, I know who that is and here's a couple things they've done that I'm aware of. So it's just always yeah. good for that name recognition. Be out there and be part of the, part of the group, part of the, part of the team. Uh-huh. Gotcha. The next question we have is a little bit of a juicy question. Um, it's, what's something about you that most people familiar with your work wouldn't know? And you can tell us anything that comes to mind, even if it's more than one thing, just express yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. Um, I love Elvis. And <laughs> I had an Elvis uh, wedding. So my husband and I were married in Vegas with an Elvis impersonator. Love it. Cool. <laughs> um, that, that's something that, that I'm so really proud of. Still have the pictures to prove it. Um, <laughs> I am a member of the Knot Tying Guild, and so I am passionate about macrame, 
which is one of the elements of knot tying. So plant hangers, like your grandmother probably has a, a macrame owl up in, in her bathroom or something. Those are kind of old school. I like that kind of stuff. So I still I still throw down with some macrame every now and then. Wow. Um, I guess one more thing to add is I have a, a strong passion for storytelling. So I almost majored in mythology and folklore because I love ancient myths and why people think what they do and, and you know, different, different explanations for the world around us. And there's just so many different cultures and civilizations and there are different ways of explaining things. So funny enough, my dad said, because um, I thought about majoring in that. And he said, no, 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 you don't want to do that. You'll be stuck teaching for the rest of your life. That's hilarious. Okay, this economic thing is pretty cool too. So I ended up majoring in it, and funny enough, I ended up teaching economics. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of funny the way things work out. But I always, you know, one of my fun things to do is to read myths, and I love fiction and storytelling. So who knows? Maybe there's a second career down the road for me as a as a folklorist. Wow. I mean, I've been in your class a couple of times, and I know you love to tell stories. So I didn't expect that one. <laughs> um, I guess that leads into our next question, and it was, in your career, it was there something that you didn't expect to happen? And I guess that also is you've answered that question to a certain extent with your dad not expecting you to be a teacher, but is there anything else? Um, let's see, that I didn't expect to happen? Um well, I guess I didn't expect to be, to, to enjoy what I do as much. You know, when I was a graduate student, it just seemed like one of those things. You know, that's the next step, and I'll, I'll do this for a living. But I've really been pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoy my job and what I do. And everything that's involved in it keeps me pretty busy, but I've enjoyed every every part of that. So I've been pleasantly surprised that my choices have led to a pretty good outcome for me. I love that. <laughs> Okay, and when did you first become passionate about teaching? Let's see, passionate about teaching. Um, I guess just in graduate school, I started thinking more about how professors come across, how they relay that information, and how well they engage the students at doing it. And I knew some professors that have been great role models. Uh, It certainly made me feel like a big part of the class. And then, just like everyone, I had some classes where students weren't very engaged, and the professor was somewhat aloof, you know, engaged <laughs> on the stage, but I'm, I'm different, and I'm special, and I'm way smarter than all of you. And so some of that just kind of showed me, hey, I think I could do that. And I think, you know, I'm excited enough about the topic. Hopefully, I would uh, be successful at conveying that information and getting students excited about the topic as well. I guess that started to kind of, um, you know, like a spark in me around graduate school. Nice. I guess that means that you're one of those exciting professors and not one of the loof ones. (laughs) Well, I try. (laughs) Okay, and with that, what do most people misunderstand about the field of work that you're in? Well, sometimes people misunderstand economics with uh, finance, and so often you tell someone on an airplane <laughs> sitting next to you, oh, I'm an economics professor, and they ask me for stock tips. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to explain, oh, no, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so um, yeah, p- people have different 
and if you make misperceptions, if you guys give them stock tips, or also just about politics. You know, sometimes people find out, oh, she teaches business. She must be very conservative. Or, um, you know, oh, she, she teaches, so she must be very liberal. So sometimes before I've even met someone, they've kind of already created an idea of who they think I am. So I kind of take it as a challenge to make them question the assumptions they made before they met me. Right? So I do try to make it hard to, to pin down. So, so, uh, maybe that, that makes them, uh, think about that again, I guess, before we, we interact a second time. I guess the main assumption a lot of people would have would be about you're good with money. Do you find that anything else is like a big assumption that they have? No, I guess some people expect professors to be kind of strict. They go, oh, but oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. That in my attitude, and then and then they they find out I'm actually pretty nice, and then some <laughs> people might be a bit surprised by that. Yeah, I get that. I definitely get that. I feel. Especially coming from England to America, I never really interacted with my professors. So when I came here and everyone was like, have you spoke to a professor? And I was like, what do you mean? Because I was struggling with a couple of classes and I was like, I wouldn't ever think about going to speak to my professor about anything. Whereas professors here, they love that. They want you to be involved in them. They know you. They'll help you. And that was a big culture shock for me. So... I love the fact that you guys are all friendly. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the next question is, in your opinion, what is the most important personality trait slash strength someone would need to work in the industry to be successful? Definitely to work in academics, you need to uh, have good communication skills. So to be able to write emails and be somewhat informal when talking to a student or be very formal. So if you're reaching out to... Uh, the head of a company to ask them to come to campus to be a speaker. So you have to be able to communicate with different audiences, you know, to have that formal language, that informal language, um, not only writing but also speaking. I, I uh, might be entering the building and I see there's a tour coming in. And so we've got prospective students and their parents. So, you know, as a faculty member, I think it's important to be able to address them, communicate with them, and, and uh, talk a little bit about the building. So... So that certainly comes in handy. And then just in, in my field, I'm more on the mathematical side, so certainly some, some analytical skills, uh, being good with numbers, and, and uh, just being confident in your own work uh, would be a, a good, good skill, good trait. So adaptability and confidence is key. Adaptability <laughs> and confidence, I like that, yes, yes. absolutely. <laughs> okay, so a little bit of an informal question next, but uh, what motivated you when you were in college to get out of bed and attend classes? Well, I was one of those annoyingly good students. Oh, no. I didn't like mornings as much, so... I know I would sleep just as late as I possibly could. I mean, I had mastered the art of brushing your teeth, combing your hair, and getting dressed. By nine o'clock or ten o'clock. But uh, you know, besides just getting myself up and ready, once I got there, I was usually pretty happy to be at school and involved in learning. I mean, there were a few classes I didn't like. Everybody's got a few, but uh, I, mean, I was usually pretty happy to be there. You're a front row student. I was. I was yeah. a fellow student. Now, I'm nearsighted. I can see my explanations, it. And I'm also very easily distracted. So if I didn't sit in the front, I'd be looking around and thinking about stuff. So, so, yeah, that's definitely my, my spot. I get that. I always have to sit close to the door. 
so they can exit quickly. Just because, I don't know, stories of schools and situations, I feel like I just need an exit real quick. Okay, that's a smart thing to do. Yeah, I my dad told me that actually he said one condition for coming to America is sit close to the door. So I said, okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, what was your biggest struggle in college? Well, first, I think my biggest struggle was just trying not to overextend myself because I was just so excited. I was excited to be there and excited to learn and and so I wanted to join every group and I wanted to have like four part-time jobs on campus and be on 10 organizations and take full-time classes and and so sometimes that got a bit much so I had to limit myself. Like, no, I only get to be in three organizations. I'm only going to take 12 hours instead of 15. You know, I'm only going to take six hours in the summer. So, so sometimes I did get a bit too enthusiastic and then was it sleeping or something else? So, you know, trade-offs. <laughs> I'm trying to monitor and adjust. But yeah, I struggle with that too because I always want to be involved in everything. And if people ask you, I was taught not to say no. You just say yes all the time. So I definitely feel that one because I love doing new things, but I also don't have much time. <laughs> yeah, we're adding athletics to it. You know, I didn't necessarily yeah. play a sport in college. I'm sure that adds to your time as well. It feels like a full-time job with a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we put you in a time machine and threw you back to a certain situation or a certain time, would you do anything differently, if anything? I don't know if I would do anything differently, but I would try to change my perspective. Um, so one thing I always... Was, was kind of bad about, I was always looking towards the end goal, and sometimes I wasn't the best about um, enjoying the voyage, as they say, or enjoying the process or the path to getting there. So sometimes I would put a lot of pressure on myself as a student, and I'd be so worried about my grades at the end of the semester that I didn't really, you know, take the time to just be in the present and enjoy that and enjoy where I was, you know. So I yeah. was really driven, so I know I'm certainly not the only one to do that, and I I try to make mention of that in the commencement speech as well. That's really important to me looking back now. So, so certainly something I would I would want to change is to try to just chill out, <laughs> a little mm-hmm. bit, smell the roses, you know, slow yeah. down, and kind of enjoy each day as I was getting there. So I think mm-hmm. I was focused on on the end. Yeah, I think that's a a struggle a lot of college students face because it's that balance between enjoying the process and enjoying every day and your friends and the situation because you're not really going to live with your friends like you do when you're here in college but then also knowing that if you don't do good here you you're kind of stopping yourself whilst you're on your way to being successful and if you focus too much on the wrong things you're not going to get there so it's the balance and it's it's a difficult balance to have to knuckle down on um, the next question is, what's an example of a mistake or failure that you experienced during your career and what did you learn from it? Um, I can sum that up with two words. Gripe capital. Gripe capital. Gripe capital. Gripe capital. People only have so much of it, you know. So you want to make sure it's not too exhausted. So that if you're someone that's constantly complaining and constantly uh, griping about one thing or another, people kind of tune that out 
eventually. And so down the road, when there is something you're really concerned about or there is something you want to say, hey, I don't like this, I don't agree with this, if you've already exhausted your gripe capital and people are so tired of hearing you, you know, complain about stuff, then it falls on deaf ears. And oh, you're yeah. essentially unable to make any change. And so I used to just, you know, not have as, as good of a, a lid on things. And so I would just go like, oh, this is the end of the world, you know, about everything. And so I kind of learned to simmer down <laughs> a little bit. And, and sometimes instead of running headfirst at the problem, sometimes there's a diplomatic way around it by using your positive words and your diplomacy and your... Um, communication skills, mm-hmm. you find a better way of handling something than, than necessarily um, complaining or being confrontational or escalating a situation that's already uncomfortable. And it just takes a few times to learn, hey, I probably could have handled that differently, just mm-hmm. like other types of communication. And so one thing I've learned is, you know, don't do that. Try to address things as well as you can and, and really think about your bright capital so that when you have something to say, people are much more likely to listen uh, and respect you if they have a, a history of having worked with you and know that you don't just blow up or, or start complaining at the first hint of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that um, a lot of people are looking into the way they say things and trying to be more positive now because of the extent to how much we are looking into mental health and really looking after people a little bit more than we used to. Um, I do know that a couple of people are struggling with when they do have the right to complain about something, how do they formally go about it in their workplace or say if you wanted to go to your boss and you're like, look, this isn't right, this is bad, like we shouldn't be doing this, how do you, do you have any advice on how to do that in a formal manner? Well, you know, everywhere is different, so certainly respect the chain of command. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't go to the CEO to complain that your printer isn't working. You know, yeah. you start with your, your direct manager or supervisor, so the chain of command is, is certainly important. And also just knowing that, that other people are human. There probably was a mistake, but there were good intentions in mind, so instead of necessarily going in and, and yelling at someone just to say, you know, hey, I've, I've noticed this and it's causing a challenge for me and I would just like to know more about it or see how I might, you know, get some support to help me with it. You know, there's always different ways of handling an issue. And certainly one should always stand up for themselves, but, you know, finding finding the right way to do that. And I know every organization's different. Like I said, respect the chain of command and um, also just experience being at a place to kind of learn how, how things work. You know, like uh, maybe your manager isn't necessarily the, the best person to talk to about that issue. And after working somewhere for a little while, you kind of see that, oh, this is the person we go to with these problems. So sometimes you've got your, your problem solvers, your moves and shakers within the organization. And yeah. So just finding those people and, and uh, you know, building relationships with them is what I would recommend. Nice. With that being said, do you have anything for our listeners that you want to just say, like a positive affirmation that you live by, that they can hear and think, yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, I kind of do, but I always screw it up. So I need, I need it like on my wall or something, but there's that saying about, you know, give me the, the energy to change what I can or whatever, and and uh, to know when, when I can't and, and mm-hmm. my knowledge to be able to tell the difference, right? There's that saying, I need yeah. that on my wall. Because sometimes you can make a change. 
And sometimes you have to just keep putting one foot in front of the other because that's out of your hand. Yes. You know, and, and sometimes I know from being faculty senate president and other things, you know, some, some colleagues would come to me with a problem and I want to help. I want to give them a solution. I want to give them some advice. And sometimes people just want you to listen. Mm-hmm. They just want to be an open ear and not necessarily try to help them with it. Just say, yeah, that, that stinks, dude, you know, at the end of the day. So learning how to do that and not always try to be the helpful beaver, you know, that yes. has all the answers, it's kind of been a challenge for me as well. It's something I'm, I'm always working on. Yeah, I like that. Um, right now, what would you say your biggest challenge is? My biggest challenge right now is, is time management, but it's just the busy part of the semester. So just a lot of meetings going on, a lot of stuff. I think we just passed like the big test time where a lot of times mm-hmm. up. So yeah, just finding finding time in the day. Sometimes it looks like, hey, I've got an hour and a half, and that hour and a half goes by really fast. Yes, it does. <laughs> so time management is definitely difficult right now. Um, if I wanted to take up a career in teaching, what is your key advice that you would give me? Uh, definitely. Uh, follow a, a path, you know, into a subject that you really like. Because it would stink to teach a subject that you find boring. Oh, yes. That just sounds awful. <laughs> so if you definitely want to go into teaching, I would say be sure that you're teaching on something that you that you enjoy. Because the more you enjoy it, I guess just the more pleasant your day is. And I think the better experience people in the room have, the students in there. They can kind of tell when someone really likes a subject and when they're just kind of reading the definitions to you because they don't really know or care either. So, so definitely having that, that uh, experience and that, that connection with your topic will make it a lot more fun for you and for the students in the room. I agree. I feel like you have to be motivated by the subject to be able to speak on it with passion. You can't just ignore the foundations of it and hate every part of it without with expecting to teach well. Right. Well, I've taught some classes I didn't like, and I'm, I'm sure the experience was different than some of my classes that I'm much more excited about the topic. Yes, I've been in a class that's very interactive. <laughs> um, with your whole career, I'm sure you've had many people cross your path and many people influenced you. Who do you feel has been your best supporter, mentor, mentor role model to you in that time? Uh, let's see, my best role model would probably be my husband, Brian. And I say that because... going to make me cry. <laughs> well, he's been through every part of that experience with me because, you know, we started our graduate program at the same time. Wow. And so I did not know him before graduate school, but we ended up, we met in graduate school. We became very good friends. We were even next-door neighbors at one time. We were study buddies. So he'd come over, we had a little dry board, you know, in, in uh, my, one of my extra uh, rooms there in, in uh, the apartment. And so we would just practice our, our econometrics proofs right, for hours together at a time. And, and uh, you know, he just saw me at my best when I'd make a good grade on the test, and he saw me at my worst. You know, and I was crying, like, I'm just going to drop out. I did this so hard. You know, he through all of that. And, and whether we were friends or later when we were dating, you know, he was always just so supportive. I've tried to be supportive back, but I know just having someone that's, that's been there, it might have seemed almost disingenuous for someone who wasn't going through it with me to say, oh, it'll be all right. 
get over it, you know, but someone going through that with me in those same classes and going through all of that uh, experience just definitely motivated me. So don't tell him I said this, but I don't know if I I might. I might. (laughs) Okay, well, side note, you clearly have a very successful relationship. Do you have any tips in, like, getting through college with that kind of relationship and the strains of college on that relationship with, like you said, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows? Like, everyone wants that dream of finding their future loved one at college and having what you have, so... Any tips? Um, well, again, the, the studying together <laughs> uh, for us. There were some things I, I helped him, I like to think, and he was certainly helpful to me uh, when it came to different topics. So, uh, but also having your own space. You know, he, he has his own thing. He has his own hobbies, and I have mine. So even though, you know, we went to school together, we worked together, we're still um, able to have a little bit of that separation, you know, um, so oftentimes I go to lunch with, with someone else and he goes off to lunch with someone else and sometimes in meetings we don't even sit next to each other. So, <laughs> so, so that it's, it's not personal, you know, he's one place, I'm another. So, so, you know, having that togetherness but also having your own. You don't want to feel too dependent on someone. So, so having your own hobbies, you know, sort of carving out your own space as well I think is important. So you don't just kind of get too tired of being in each other's space all the time. Yes, I get that, especially when you work together and everything. So it's nice that you guys have boundaries in that sense. Um, The next question is, if you could give yourself one piece of advice as a freshman student, like go back in time and speak to yourself, like, hey, Dr. Logan, I'm going to tell you this, like, what would it be and how would that change through sophomore, junior and senior year? It's a broad question, I know. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I hadn't looked that far ahead on the list. So. <laughs> um, funny enough, now that I've told you about the, the folklore and mythology, I might have chosen to double major. Wow. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe have some of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely to go back to my regret there. If I could whisper in my freshman self's ear, you know, it would be that same message to, to chill out, smell the roses, try to enjoy the experience of being in college. Mm-hmm. And I know college students hear it all the time, you know, enjoy it now before you go to the real world. Well, I don't know so much about the real world. I liked college so much I decided to stay here. <laughs> and, and there definitely is the, the idea, you know, that, that you're, you get to completely focus on, on learning and developing yourself, you know. And so the world kind of is your oyster to make those choices. And it is such an exciting time that, that I want uh you know, any, any advice to give to myself or others would be and enjoy all that time and make the most of it. But don't be so focused on that career, you know, that you miss out on some of the some of the fun opportunities you have. I like that. And do you think that would stay the same advice as if you were speaking to yourself as a senior? I think it would. It might change a little bit over time, you know. Uh just, just revise a little bit, but I think, I think that main message would, would probably resound each year. Okay. Well, the last question I have for you is, what's one question that you wish I had asked you and you're dying to speak about and you just want to ramble on forever? <laughs> uh, what is my favorite Star Wars character? You're a Star Wars fan? I'm a huge Star Wars fan. You haven't seen my Pez collection? No, I'd, I've never even watched one of the Star Wars movies. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I have all... Do you have a DVD player? I'm old school. No. 
No, I do not have a DVD player. Is it on Netflix or anything? I, I, I don't know. It's probably on the Disney Plus thing now. Okay. I'm not sure, but I can certainly uh, make, make that available for you. We'll figure that something out. That sounds good. You need to watch the Star Wars movies, especially the first three. Okay, why is that the case? Why do I have to watch them? <laughs> oh, there's so many wonderful messages. Like I said, the storytelling, the mythology of Star Wars in itself. I mean, you could write just entire books on that. So, you know, what I say the first three is really episodes four, five, and six. So the original three for old people like myself, right? We think of those, but my favorite character. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yoda. Oh, my dog is named after Yoda. Right on. (laughs) Yoda would certainly be my favorite Star Wars character. I think he's very wise and calm, and he's certainly not ever going to exhaust his gripe capital. (laughs) So I try to try to uh, focus on on what Yoda would do. So the message of this whole meeting is be like Yoda. (laughs) I got you. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this whole interview.